Welcome back to the Atlantic Division crossover preview on Locked On Senators. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Pillar, and today we welcome on the other half of the Battle of Ontario. From the Locked On Leafs podcast, it's Mike DiStefano and David Morissuti. Mikey, what's going on, buddy? I know we do the NHL show every Tuesday, but this will be a little bit different, a little more head-to-head here. Probably put our our team's glasses on a little bit more than we do on Locked On NHL. We try to be a little unbiased, but this is where we can really get silly with the Battle of Ontario chirps. And I'm looking forward to this season because I think that the Ottawa Senators, they're a much improved club, obviously. And, you know, Toronto's a team that's going to be vying for, for championship supremacy. I think it'll be a nice, uh, well, last couple of years, I guess they've been all right. And unfortunately, the Leafs has played down to their opponents. But I think there should be some two quality teams with quality games for the Battle of Ontario. Get this thing reignited like the early 2000s when, you know, us four really started to begin to love hockey. 100% well said. And that happens to be the last time the Leafs won a playoff series back in 2000. And for David, these two teams always play. These two teams always play good games. You look at both sides. Last year, I think Mike and I spoke about it the other week, but that 6-5 OT win where I think Giordano scored the winner in overtime, but it was back and forth, lots of highlight reel plays. Like, Do you get up as a Leafs fan for those games against the Senators? Of course. I grew up on those Battle of Ontario playoff series. Like Vivid childhood memories of getting, seeing you know, the Leafs beat the Sens. Send Patrick Liam into the abyss. Always get up for those games. That's for sure. I'm going to ignore the years where the Sens absolutely beat the living piss out of the Leafs during the, the period of the like the Dominic Hasek. You had the Alfredson Spezza Heatley line. I'm going to ignore all that. But yeah, I know. Like, I, I crave rivalries. It just makes the like when you get both sides that just really like the, the, the tension, the atmosphere. And the Leafs kind of help provide some of that atmosphere when they are in Ottawa. I always get up for those games. Well, the the all-time battle of Ontario record right now, if you include playoffs, is 80 wins for Toronto, 64 regulation losses, three overtime losses, and 13 ties. So regular season, Ottawa's got a wide edge as well with 69 wins in the 160 meetings. Pilsy. As an Ottawa Senators fan in the heart of enemy territory in Southern Ontario, what's life like for a guy like you? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of blue uh, blue shirt fans up here in Collingwood, that's for sure. But I've, I've learned to deal with them. And uh, Ross, as you know, I like to make my way to Ottawa more often than Toronto these days. So that, that's how I cope with that for now. All right, coming up on this crossover, we're going to get into the Toronto Maple Leafs, their offseason, and now the preseason's already underway. It's going to be a little bit different from the other division previews because we have regular season right on the other side of this weekend. So we can't wait to get into that. So we'll touch on what the Leafs' expectations are, not only in the regular season, but come springtime. And then we'll flip it around, get Mike and David to shoot what they have question-wise for us with the Ottawa Senators, and we'll end off with some predictions and maybe even a fantasy sleeper, if we can get one out of these fellas. Pilsy, you want to kick off the question period here to the fellas? Yeah, uh, speaking of living in enemy territory, Ross, I think something that's made the Battle of Ontario even more interesting is how often these teams have been trading with each other and teams have been flipping sides here. I mean, most notably, we got to get into it right away. We're a hashtag goalie-friendly show. Uh, (laughs) Mikey, I'll kick it over to you. 
Yeah. How are you feeling about Matt Murray? Because Ross and I, we've gone through our ups and downs with Matt Murray. It's, it is the Jekyll and Hyde performances of Matt Murray is astounding. Like literally, if you look at his game logs last year, five games, great performances, great numbers, five games, absolute garbage. And then it would just flip flop in between him getting hurt. How confident are you that he can be a big reason why the Leafs has success? And do you think he'll have more uh, opportunities than Sam Sonov? Or how do you think that split will go? Um, so, like, I, right now, I think it's it, there's a battle, right, for that number one job. I have Murray just edging him out to start the year, like, 52%, 48% Matt Murray. But when it comes to my comfort level, my confidence level in Matt Murray, I'm actually a lot higher than most people are. Like I, I looked at what Murray did to kind of finish off last season. Um, and he, you know, if you take out those two awful games at the end of the year, he had that 11 game stretcher. He was like a 950 save percentage goaltender. Do I expect that? Absolutely not. But the Maple Leafs last year, if you look at their goaltending throughout the entire season, they're a 900 save, percent, save percentage goaltending. And that's with an inflated uh, November and October from Jack Campbell. From January onward, they're like 887 goaltending. So realistically, I don't think he was going to be any worse than 887. And the Maple Leafs went on to have a like franchise best 115 points last year with literally worse than league average goaltending. So I think Matt Murray, if he can stay healthy, and that's obviously the big the big question mark there is can he stay healthy? Hasn't been the case over the last three, four years, even going back to his time in Pittsburgh. But when he is in net, I think that in front of this Maple Leafs team, which was seventh last year in the NHL and expected goals against, a lot of people, you know, try to dunk on the Leafs. They got terrible defense. I mean, they're sixth seventh in the nhl and expected goals so going from that you know what you guys had in ottawa and you know no offense but not the greatest blue line and you know they were pretty low when it comes to expected so he faced a lot of quality chances i don't think that's going to be the case here in toronto he'll face a lot of soft shots which he should be able to save so far through the first couple preseason games he's been ecstatic i mean he stopped all of his shots at five on five he's allowed one goal one goal and it was on the power play, but he stopped 44 45 so far uh, through a couple of preseason games. I think he's got one more that he's going to play on Saturday, but so far so good. I, I do understand the Jekyll and Hyde situation when it comes to him, but ultimately I think we will see a better Matt Murray in Toronto in front of that team than what he's had the past couple of seasons, which were weird years, COVID. Um, he, his dad passed away, which definitely affected his mental health. He's come out and talked about that himself. So I think a, a new year, fresh team, uh, I'm expecting better results for Matt Murray, which should you know make the Maple Leafs goaltending situation a little more palatable than maybe some thought it would be. It's an entirely new crease in Toronto with Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek on the way out and Matt Murray and Samsonov going to man it this year. A couple other moves they made in the offseason. Kali Yarncroke and Nicholas Obey-Kubel, Stanley Cup champion with Colorado, come in to add some depth to the bottom six. David, are you confident with this forward core beyond the big names at the top of the depth chart? That was a concern for many, and I was wondering the same when, you know, you see so many guys leave throughout the years. You had Zach Hyman leave. You had Ely McKay leave. Guys who played prominent roles and provided some of that depth, and then you see the guys they bring in. It's like, well, these aren't 
the sexiest names. Of course, Leafs can't really afford to bring in too many sexy names in free agency. So I, you have to kind of temper your expectations. But then you see Cal Yarncroke actually play. You see Nicholas Albicubel actually get on the ice, and you see why they were valued and, you know, for sh- specific targets to the Leafs. You know, uh, it do- they don't necessarily have to score a bunch of goals, but they need to have a presence on the ice, whether it's forechecking, whether it's solid defensive play. Even Zach Aston Reese, who uh, still needs to be signed to a contract, but it looks like the Leafs are leaning towards giving him that. Like that depth is something that the Leafs thought they had in past years. But I think right now you're seeing that veteran presence, what these guys have been able to accomplish on good teams, right? You saw, you know, Abe Kubel won the cup last year. They, so uh, he's been right through the ringer. Cal Yonkog was with the, with the flames. Granted, he wasn't the biggest producer with the flames, but he still played a, a decent role and what they did as well. So I like those moves just because you got guys that have been there. They have done it before. And yeah, the big boys at the end of the day are going to have to step up. But I think I feel better knowing that there is support, you know, lowering the lineup on both ends of the ice. Realistically for the Maple Leafs, what is the season expectation? Like, obviously, they're a great regular season team, had an incredible power play, the top six clicking, the decors looking good. Um, So is it the kind of season where, look, you're not really concerned with how you finish in the regular season. It's all about the playoffs. Is getting past the first round good enough? Or is their expectations much beyond that? I'm not throwing a a side chirp here that the Leafs haven't been able to do it. But realistically, if they can get out of that first round and kind of uh, get those demons out of them right away, then you're looking at a much better successful season than they've had in the past. Yeah, not throwing it throw a chirp out there but i saw you gritting pretty good when you came out of your mouth i know you were excited (laughs) to talk about that um yeah you you know it's funny everyone talks about how the regular season doesn't matter and to an extent it it doesn't this team's going to be in the playoffs and then it's whatever they do in those final couple of weeks in april early may is really what's going to define you know what i think is the path for this team going forward another first round exit and Who knows what could happen, but I would imagine that we'll see a a vastly different management and coaching situation in the future. But the regular season does matter in the regards of if they can win this division and get themselves a much more favorable matchup so they don't have to go up against, you know, a Tampa Bay Lightning again or, you know, one of the better squads. So, you know, it matters somewhat if they can end up winning the division crown and get themselves an easier first round. Now I know they've had that in the past Columbus and Montreal, which they should have won obviously, but I think this is a different team this season than you had a couple of years ago. I think that they're a much stronger group on the blue line. You've got Marner and Matthews a couple of years older in their prime, much better players than they were at the time. Um, and to answer your question, I think it's going to take more than one round. I really do. I think this team needs to go on a bit of a run here in order to truly um, make this fan base really happy. I think if they can go to the conference final, heaven forbid, the Stanley Cup final, win a cup, like I think that this is a team that is built to win it. I don't know if you guys saw this, but um, the athletics model had the Maple Leafs as the best team in hockey with the best chance to win not only the President's Trophy, but the Stanley Cup. 
this wow. year. So, you know, it's not just me with the blue and white disease. It's also, you know, the analytics gurus and the models that are splitting out the Maple Leafs as a team that could potentially go all the way. And I think it's that type of success that really is what Leaf fans are expecting. One, two rounds. Like, yeah, we'll all party when they finally went around for the first time in, what, 18 years? But to me, this team is better than that. They, they probably should come out of the division and, you know, be one of those teams vying for the Stanley Cup title. You heard him, Pilsy. No need to play the game. It's already been decided. We'll see what NHL uh, 23 uh, simulates as well. Because I think they've had the Leafs winning the Cup a couple times over the years yeah, since the have. rebuild was complete. Coming up, we're going to flip the script, get into the Ottawa Senators. And I've got some trivia. Which players have had the most points in the Battle of Ontario since the Senators returned to the NHL since 1992. All that coming up on this crossover edition of the Locked On Senators and Locked On Maple Leafs podcast. Hope you're enjoying our Locked On Battle of Ontario preview. Before we get back to it, just a quick word from our friends at Bet Online, the number one sports for all your sports wagering information this upcoming season. You can find all the latest player developments and team matchups and news and podcasts and in-depth articles on every game you can find be prepared go to bet online they remain your continued source for all your sports wagering information get even live bet and get up to the minute scores for every sport out there the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events including mlb nfl nba nhl is heading to betonline.net you can even use your mobile device to learn more it's betonline.net where the game starts All right, you're listening to the Locked On Senators. Locked On Maple Leafs, it's the Locked On Battle of Ontario podcast season preview. Pilsy, you know I love testing you with trivia. So I'm going to ask you straight up first. And Mikey, David, if you you do want to chime in, if you think you know, then get right after it. Who is the all-time leader in points among all Battle of Ontario participants, Pilsy? Just one quick question. Jason Spezza, do, does his points yeah. count on both <laughs> that sides? That was my question also. That was yeah, my okay. question also. I can tell you that Jason Spezza is not among the top 50 Leafs in points against Ottawa in the Battle of Ontario. No, but uh, counting no, but, his points with the Sens. Yeah, oh, so I, I can't like, see count it. both sides is what I'm saying. I can't see it. I can't see it. I only searched up the top 50. I got to draw a line somewhere. Okay, well, that's fair. No, your well, question's invalid. So it's what Leafs I, is the top Leaf who's scored against the Sens? Is that what you're asking? Or the top Senator for one franchise against the other. I mean, I think Spets is still a decent decent guess there. No, he's second. Okay. All right. Well, I'm happy and with that guess still. There's a 0% chance that he would be first. Fellas, do you have any idea? I'm actually surprised at how lopsided it is in total. Would this be... Uh, well, I'm trying to think of like who's been there the longest that would yeah, have played the most games. Like, Spezza made sense. Yeah. Uh, taking, I can't believe it's taking this long. No, I'm going to go with Sundin. No, no, no. No, it's Alfie. No. It's Alfie. Oh, wait, hold on. on. Against Tron- it's Alfie, yeah. yeah. Alfie. No, but I was counting Toronto in there, too. Matt Sundin has the most points for any Maple Leaf against Ottawa. Okay. 41 points. Okay. Daniel Offerton has 71 points yeah. in the Battle of Ontario. I knew if it wasn't Spezza, it was, it was Alfie. Uh, Alfie's yeah. had he's had a yeah a long that's a long battle against Toronto. 80 games played, same as Chris Phillips. Actually, they're tied. 
for a lead. And the most of any Maple Leaf on this list is Tomas Caberlet with a 66-game sample size. But, hey, you know what's kind of cool? We can finish off before we get into the Senators' upcoming season with this, and maybe it'll translate well because we're talking about one of the all-time snipers, a couple of them over the last decade, and that's Danny Heatley, who is known as being a Maple Leafs killer. And Austin Matthews have almost identical stat lines. Nice. Danny Heatley, 29 games, 40 points. Austin Matthews, 40 points in 26 games. So he's even got a touch of an edge, but tied in points. Thought that was interesting. The Battle of Ontario will reignite rather quickly in the second game this upcoming season in Toronto. First Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. And then we'll have to wait a little while. After that, fellas, it's going to be January 27th in Toronto. And then the season series will shift to Ottawa for the final two games, March 18th, right after St. Paddy's Day. And then once again on April 1st. And no April Fools on that one. All right, Mikey, I'm going to pass the torch over to you. What are you thinking about this Ottawa Senators team from the outside? Well, from the outside, I think that like Pierre Dorian deserves a bit of a pat on the back for the work that he did. Shout out to you guys, by the way. If anyone locked on Leafs had didn't know or hadn't seen at the podcast, the boys ended up getting Pierre Dorian on their show. Go check that out. Uh, they just did it a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, you know, I think he deserves a pat on the back. Like, I think he did a tremendous job um, kind of realizing, okay, this team, we've been through that rebuild. Our guys are ready to maybe take that next step. Let's go and add to the group and help them get there. So going out and trading for Alex to break it, bringing in Claude Giroux, and then going out and paying their guys to stay long-term. The Norrises, the Bathers, and the, last year they brought in Kachuk, and they ended up also signing Timmy Stutzla. So I like what they've done. They brought in Cam Talbot. Unfortunately, he's going to be out for a little bit. I'll be curious to see you know, how you guys feel about that in a moment. But ultimately, to me, I, I do have question marks about the blue line when it comes to to this squad. And I know the name Jacob Chikrin has been floating out there that Ottawa has interest in them, and that would definitely make it a little bit better. But as it sits right now on paper heading into the season, that to me is the one like major flaw that was not addressed in the offseason that kind of holds Ottawa back from being a, a true, you know, lock playoff team for me. Yeah, and that's definitely the biggest question among Sens fans too, Mikey. Like, uh, I think a lot of this hinges on fifth overall pick in the 2020 draft, Jake Sanderson. And he's already slotted to be in a top four position. He's a smooth, transitional, uh, skating defenseman, plays on the left side. Right now, he's going to be paired with Travis Hamannick, which isn't the ideal partner uh, on the right side. I would say Artem Zub would have been the ideal guy, but... The Sens are so thin on the right side. There's not a lot of options there, but you do get a veteran guy that's going to help Sanderson out. The Sens and Sens fans are hoping that Sanderson can kind of quarterback the second power play unit, get a lot of his points there and really do his magic with the puck. He's such a good player when he has the puck on his stick, skating up the ice. He's going to help this team break into the Ozone a lot better, make a good crisp first pass to set up those top six guys that uh, you mentioned. The Sens did a good job shoring up their offense. So, I think for this defense to do well, Jake Sanderson's going to have to take a big step. And probably similar to what you guys are used to in Toronto, I think the Senators are also hoping to outscore a lot of their problems with uh, with the firepower they have. Yeah, they'll be fun for sure. I want to pick up on, on what you mentioned there with the power play because obviously I, I smirk when you say second power play unit when 
arguably your best player offensively yeah, is on true. that unit and Alex DeBrinket and, and Claude Giroux as well. Like in Toronto, have they ever split up the talent on the power play? I know there's been times at five on five, obviously where Marner and Matthews have played on different lines, but for the power play, have they always loaded up that top unit? Yeah. I mean, David, you can take that one. Yeah, I know. When when Austin Matthews first came into the league, he was second power play unit. He was not even cracking the top unit. So in the past, like with Mike Babcock, it wasn't always loaded at the top. But then once John Tavares came in, it was all hands on deck. You know, he had Tavares on one side, Matthews on the other side. He had Marner, he had Kadri. Like they, they did purposely, you know, load up that top unit. And when you have those guys on the top unit, that second unit is not getting out, uh, you know, a lot. And actually, when the second unit did come out, it was Jason Spezza that was kind of the go-to guy on yeah. that unit. So, uh, yeah, no, we the, the Leafs have always gone with that, you know, power play. That top unit is going to be out for a good, you know, eighty percent of the time, and you're going to try to do as much damage with those guys when they're out there. And I might add, first. They were first in the league last year in power play, nearly 30%. So it worked. It definitely works <laughs> having those, uh, that, that crop of dudes out there whipping and zipping the fuck around. And all if you saw the game the other night against, uh, I think it was against Montreal, actually. But that first unit power play looked so good when they scored that first goal of the hockey game. Bunting, little pop pass, little tic tac toe to Nylander. It was sweet. And I think that the Leafs will have another great uh, showing on the power play again this year. Because that's been the the talk of conversation in Ottawa this uh, this preseason. Is I'm going to pull it up for our YouTube viewers right now. Because last year the first power play was pretty good. The second one was was absolutely brutal with some of the personnel. They just d- couldn't really get it done. But right yeah, now, like w- when you look at it, like it's completely split up. And yeah. uh, I'm curious to see how it, how it kind of plays out here with Kachuk in the front of the net, then Stutzla, Batherson, and Norris with Shabbat up top, and then having that second unit where. Now your one-timer option is coming from the other wing because you have Norris as a left shot on the right side and then to bring it on the right. And then obviously your strong side is your playmaker here with Stutzel and Giroux both on their on their uh, strong wings. So uh, how do you how do you like this setup uh, from, from uh, your position there, Mikey? Like, would you mix this you up at all? What? You know what? I, I think it just actually speaks to the great depth that, that the Senators have. Like, Toronto's very top-heavy, right? So, you know, they only have... Like they have their top four forwards and everybody knows who they are, right? Marner, Matthews, Tavares, and Nylander. And those guys are on the first unit and they're going to play a buck 30 out of that two minute drill, uh, two minute power play. Ottawa's in a situation where they have like six guys, it looks like, you know, five guys maybe. We'll see if, if you know, if you want to put Pinto in that conversation, I suppose. Um, but like five or six guys who, arguably are all relatively around like the same similar talent level. And so, you know, it's not necessarily you have to pile them all into one. You could split them up into two and probably get, you know, decent production out of both. Well, and the, and the thing too, and you bring up the idea of guys shooting on their offsides, like the Leafs, uh, when Matthews was first on the power play, he was shooting on his, uh, on, on the left. And then they moved them over to the right because they wanted to utilize that one-timer option a lot more. I remember even Tavares was on that right side. So it's it's become more common. I mean, I I always think to Tampa and the way that they have Stamkos on one side, Kucherov on the other. That just makes the power play that much more lethal when 
you're kind of guessing which side you want to defend that pass yeah. on. I actually I have another question about your forwards group, and that's with uh, Mr. Tim Stutzla. Him at center, I found that to be a very interesting development. I, I, I know when I was watching him throughout the draft process, I know he did play a little center, but I saw him play a lot on the wing. And then there was that video that came out about him and Claude Giroux going with face-offs. Now, I know Claude Giroux is a longtime NHL veteran, pretty much mastered the art of taking face-off. But to see Timmy going up against him in the, in the draws like that, are you guys comfortable with him as a center? Or do you think that's – is that going to be something they're going to try to stick with as much as possible there? I hope so, just because he creates so much speed from center, especially coming out of his zone and going blue line to blue line with the puck on his stick and making a couple moves. But I think that's another reason why it's kind of perfect to have Giroux, a natural centerman at taking face off 60% in his career. Very similar career path, I think, with John Tavares, honestly. And uh, and you look at, but well, different than Tavares is that now he kind of plays the wing at five on five, but still can step in and take face off. So I'd expect him to take every face off on the right side of the ice and at center uh, when they're on when they're on together. It's always the hardest thing. Like Shane Pinto was like seventy percent in college. He had a game where he went twenty three for twenty three, and then even he came in his first year in the NHL and albeit seventeen games. And even he's like 29%. It's just Jack Hughes was like 20%. Zegris, all these guys, when they come into the league, not everyone's built like Austin Matthews who can just like go in and snap him back. Josh Norris is the same way as Matthews where he's already a 53, 54% guy in the dot. It's just rare. So I'd be willing to be patient with that. And and I think having Drew there to support him is great. But I'm more so, and Mikey brought up his name, like I think it's more going to be that eventually over the course of the contracts that the top two centers sign in in Stutzla and Norris is like Shane Pinto is not a third line center in my opinion in the next three four years I, I think the sky's the limit for him big centerman who's strong defensively you think, shot. you think Shane Pinto is a better player than Cole Caulfield yeah well I think the, I, that's not how I said it I said that he's going to have a more successful career is the way I uh the way I worded it so it's a little bit different because counting stats like Caulfield can shoot the puck like few others in the National Hockey League I know his favorite player growing up was Alex Dabrinkit, so you see the way he shoots it. But when you when you look at uh, yeah their careers, no, I, I'm sticking with it. You like obviously it's preseason. We'll see how it does in the regular season. But the Sens, as bad as they were when Pinto came in out of college, and call it a coincidence or what, but he did play on the top six right when he came in. Stutzel was on his left, Connor Brown was on his right. They're 14 three and one when Shane Pinto plays for the Ottawa Senators. What's their record without him? way below 500 over that time span. So yeah, call it a coincidence. It's a small sample size, but he makes a difference when he's in the lineup and he's 21 years old. One other question I got for you guys that I touched on before news came out earlier this week that Cam Talbot was going to miss potentially as much as up to seven weeks, five to seven weeks was the timeline that I saw most recently. I mean, how much of a blow is that to, to, the Ottawa Senators. Is that something that they're going to be able to kind of come from? I know that starting off slow has kind of been a pattern for this Sens team. And obviously, you know, the drop off from Talbot to, to Forsberg, who I guess he had a good season last year, but you know, it, it is a little bit uh, stark in a way. Yeah, I'll be honest. It was a big blow because uh, getting Cam Talbot to come in here, it really gave Sens fans a, a sense of ease knowing that now they have two stable veterans in Anton Forsberg and Cam Talbot that can help this team 
any given night. And you mentioned it, the bad starts, that's, that's been the absolute worst for the Ottawa Senators recently because they're out of the playoff race in mid-November. And it's like, well, that, we, we got like 55 more games that these players got to slug <laughs> yeah. through and they know they're out of it. And it's just been terrible. So it was, it was a tough loss for sure, but the Ottawa Senators and Sens fans are very confident in Anton Forsberg. And I think he doesn't get enough credit around league circles about how good he is. He put You mentioned earlier how bad this decor was uh, when talking about how Matt Murray had to face those shots. Well, Anton Forsberg stepped up and faced a lot more of uh, the shots from this bad decor. And he had a 917 save percentage on that Ottawa Senators team. And he never lost more than two games in a row. He was 22 and yeah. 17 record wise on, on that squad. So pretty impressive Perfect. guy who just signed a three-year deal at 2.75 per. And this is a team where Philip Gustafson lost 12 straight starts last year. Yeah. So uh, there wasn't a whole lot of winning outside of uh, what Forsberg brought. I do got one uh, other follow-up too, because you mentioned like in the past, this season's kind of been, or this team's been out of it by November with the slow starts. If that happens again this year where this team's like below 500 by, let's say, American Thanksgiving, how much do you think DJ Smith would be on the hot seat at this point? Very much so. I mean, you can kind of think back as a Leafs fan if you're listening to this. And um, DJ Smith left Toronto to come to Ottawa. Wasn't that long ago, 2019? He's the seventh longest tenured coach in the National Hockey League. Yeah. He's coached 182 game season. So much turnover this past summer. And that's just how impatient the National Hockey League gets. I certainly think he would be on the hot seat. My question is would the Senators be willing, financially more so than anything, to go out and pay for a veteran head coach that would be objectively better? Or would it be Troy Mann waiting in the wings who's just had rave reviews in Belleville and has coached up the the core that's in Ottawa for the most part now? That's where the yeah. real conversation would be. But they've won four of their first 20 games in back-to-back years. Like, Yeah, it's tough. If it's not eight or more, and even eight, you're, you're kind of gritting your teeth while you say it, but it, plugs probably pulled after 20 games. Well, this is nothing that I'm sure is shocking or, or a revelation to you and maybe even your listeners, but like Frank Corrado, good friend of mine who spent some time with Belleville, spent some yep. time with Troy Mann, he thinks the world of that guy. He thinks that he is an NHL head coach in waiting. So nice. if that were to happen and he did get elevated into Ottawa, Corrado, he's got the Corrado stamp of approval, if that makes you feel any better. Man, we got to get uh, Frank in the show. We got to get his contact from you because I'm sure there's some unique angles playing yeah. uh, playing for Belva. At the time, he did too. I believe it was that season where they were in first place. Pillsy, wasn't yeah, it? 1920. Yeah, nineteen twenty. Yeah, he knows all those kids. Yeah. He seems like a hilarious person when it comes to the Battle of Ontario because he grew up playing with those with in Toronto during like Matthews and Marner's working at Melander, but then also True. when he played in Belleville where all huh. the kids from Ottawa were kind of going up. So he True. knows a lot of the players in this Battle of Ontario very well and, and up close and personal. We're going to see if Mike and Dave know anyone from the Leaf Pile photo up close and personal and get into some predictions coming up on the other side of a break on this Atlantic Division preview between the Locked On Senators and Locked On Leafs podcast. All right, you're listening to Locked On Crossover between Locked On Sens, Locked On Leafs. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Pill. You can follow the show at Sens Central and subscribe on YouTube, Locked On Senators, and do the same for Locked On Leafs. We're with David Morissuti and Mike DeStefano from Locked On 
Leafs, Pelzi, we've been doing this with everyone. We have to, right? I I didn't think you were going to bring this up, but uh, take it away. All right. We've been, we found our, our last supper photo. Is that what it's fair to call it, Pelzi? We've called it our Mona Lisa, I believe, at times. (laughs) (laughs) From a sense fan angle. Yeah, it's a work of art. I mean, no, all jokes aside, it is a funny photo. You guys call it Maple Leaf Square. We call it the Leaf Pile. And after game six, the overtime loss against the Lightning, this still frame that made it onto Sportsnet, and I'm going to blame David Morasuti for letting it get on TV. We always ask, we ask every division preview we've done so far to pick your favorite Leaf fan from the photo. From this photo, I mean, it's got to be this guy, like, chilling like this, I mean, I guess can't really see, but the guy with like front the, and center with the it, pink bucket hat. It's gotta be. Oh, you know <laughs> what? The guy behind him. The guy behind him. Actually, I think he looks like he is pissed. He is upset. <laughs> He's just looking, staring blankly, like he just can't believe what just happened. I'm assuming this is right after what point scored no T. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and he's just dumbfounded. I'm gonna go with that guy in behind the bucket hat. The guy beside the bucket that has war paint on. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Where, hey, David, is that you in the back? <laughs> no, I was probably I was working that night actually. Um, you know who I see? There's two. If you look on each end, there's the one person that has like some sort of like scarf around their neck, having their hand up on like yeah, on, on the right side. Yep, yeah, on the right yeah. side there. That's a good one. Like that, yeah, there was that one. And then there's right near the front, there's a person like kind of holding the brim of their hat, kind of just like like yep. sh- has a shocked look on their face. That that would definitely encapsulate Leafs Nation after there's, that. There's also a dude like kind of in the middle-ish in the back. There's some weird that face hat? that's being made by it. Mm-hmm. like this this guy over there. It looks like he's got like some facial hair. Yeah, oh, I, I see, see it. Yeah, I see him. This is yeah, like the Where's Waldo. Of yeah. The- <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Be nice if I could, like, you know, do a, a circle around that guy. But I know. Yeah. I imagine we had, like, a, a football coach with the red laser yeah, pointer. Exactly. Yeah, you see this guy right here? You see the face he's making? That's all. <laughs> so to avoid moments nice. like that, you know what you do? Just don't make the playoffs for five years. And then everyone forgets about yep. the uh, double overtime goal. That really, yeah. Ross. I, I wouldn't want people to see our faces when uh, that double overtime goal <laughs> happened. No, pure, no. pure despair. Not safe for work. Not safe <laughs> for work. All right, prediction time. Before though, this is going to come out. I would say on the busiest fantasy hockey draft weekend of the year, right before the regular season starts. No disrespect to the European games that started over the last day or so. Um. David, who's a sleeper for you on the Leafs? Like someone who's outside of those top guys, you could probably get a mid to late round in a, in a in a fantasy draft. Like who is a Leaf that you would recommend someone take? I look at Michael Bunting, Mikey's boy over there, the snub of the Calder Trophy voting. Um, he's no, a guy robbed. that's get- no, no, no. He was robbed, not snubbed, robbed. There, there you go. Um, because he gets, he's going to get on the power play. He's the net front guy. He's going to be riding with Marner and Matthews again this year. He put up an incre- incredible numbers at five on five. That's the, that's this is part of Mark's, Mike's argument. I memorized it because it's been jolted into me so much at this point. Five on five. How many more points? How, how close he was to McDavid at five on five scoring, Mike? Uh, the exact same amount of points at five on five as Connor McDavid. Wow. So 
Michael Bunting, if you are looking for a leaf and not looking too homerish while you're doing it. Wow. That's actually impressive because he obviously was just kind of plucked out. What did they give up to get him from Arizona? Anything? Nothing. No, he's a free agent. They didn't really. Yeah, wow. He was like a group. He was like a group six UFA type of thing. And no, he was already a UFA, and he's still up for the Calder. Okay, got yeah. it. Wow. <laughs> up for the Calder. How old do you usually have to be when you're a UFA? Twenty seven. Yeah, but he was like, like one seven of the years weird. of service. It's- it's because he was in the minors forever. You know how it works. Right, right. Lots of pro experience, it sounds like you're saying. <laughs> uh, so did Mo Sider. What did he play? Yeah, Three yeah. years of uh, pro hockey before coming over yeah, to North America? That's actually a fair counterpoint. Yeah. yeah. Fair. That's, that's Mike, fair. Mike, Mike was was ready for this. For- size discrepancy also. Come he was on. ready for this. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's been practicing in the mirror. Eh? He he's his name's Mike as well. He's just standing. He's like, no, Mike deserves the Calder. Mike deserves the Calder. If uh, Mike Bunting was picked the pick before you, Mike, you who are you taking from the Leafs? I don't think I ever actually told you this, Dave, but like when I was with Leafs lunch, we went down to Media Day and we actually got to interview Michael Bunting live in person. And like my co-host Julia legitimately told him in the middle of the interview. There's nobody that was harder on the Michael Bunting for uh, for the Calder train than this guy right here. And, like, she made me recite his whole stat line to him. And, like, my <laughs> mic drop, did you know that you had the same amount of points at 5-on-5 five five as Connor McDavid? And he flat out looked at me and said, actually, I didn't know that. That's pretty sweet, though. <laughs> like, hell yeah, you got robbed. Not bad. But who's yeah. your guy if, if he gets taken the pick before after you smash a hole in your computer? <laughs> See, the, the problem is, like, the Maple Leafs are so top-heavy. So, like, once you get past that kind of nucleus of guys, like, you know, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, Bunting on defense, you know, Morgan Riley's really the only guy who I would consider to be, you know, fantasy-relevant. Um you know, sneakily, if you're in a league that maybe includes, you know, like blocks and hits and stuff, like Jake Muzzin could be a decent player to go and pick up for peripherals. Like he'll also do ice time. It really depends on what your league is like. If you're straight up looking for goals and whatnot, I mean, maybe, maybe you could pick up an Alex Kerfoot type of player or you could really roll the dice. Nick Robertson, I think, is going to make this team. If you're in a league that where you need to have a rookie on your on your like in a box pool, let's say instead of fantasy, and Nick Robertson is available as one of those players, he might be someone who would be useful. Because um, if he ends up making the squad and he comes out and scores the way that he's doing right now in preseason, um, he's going to get some top six minutes with this club. He might be someone who's worth taking a little bit of a flyer on, who could have some high upside this year. Oh, he's going to score you at 25, 30 goals, but he's a bit of a higher upside type of player than a guy like Abe Kubel, who probably is only going to get you 10 to 14 goals. The Locked On Podcast Network is proud partners with Bet Online. And this year, Bet Online has you covered with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. And one of those lines is the team total in points for the Toronto Maple Leafs is 107.5. And not only that, but it's minus 130 on the over and even money on the under. Mikey, I know you like to check out betonline.net every now and again. Yeah. Are you hammering the over on that? Okay. Absolutely, my friends. Absolutely, I'm hammering the over. 
107 and a half. Like it's a good number. It's a pretty high one. They've only eclipsed that number once in their entire existence as a franchise, but that was last season. And I think this team could be equally as good, if not even a little bit better than they were a year ago. I, I think they had a lot of losses, which they should have won. Their record against sub 500 teams was abysmal. Even if they get win half of those games that they should have lost, they should be able to win some more games. I think some of the guys at the top of the division got a little bit worse, but some of them at the bottom division got a little bit better, but they're not winning against those teams anyway. So realistically, it don't matter. But ultimately, to go back to the whole goaltending thing, this team won, had 115 points with 900 goaltending. If they could just get league average, which last year was about 907 goaltending, they should be able to maybe tie, maybe even better that mark I have them pegged to win the division, and to win the division, this Atlantic division, I think you'll have to go past the 110-point mark, which is above 107.5. So I like the over as uh, as the play there for the Maple Leafs. It's the second highest total in the National Hockey League, only behind Colorado at 111.5. David, are you going over as well? I'm going to go under for Colorado. No, for for the Leafs. For the Leafs. Well, I'll go under for Colorado. I think you and I discussed this before. Yeah, we did. Locked on NHL. Check it out. Available everywhere. (laughs) I'll say the Leafs I'm going over to because all the reasons that Mike said. Plus, I think health will be on their side a little bit more this year. Mitch Marner missed significant time last year. Yeah, I'm going to knock on wood. I got wood right here. I'm always ready for that one. Don't worry. But Mitch Marner missed a good portion of the year. They had to escape by without him. Matthews did not start the season with the team. He had he was recovering from wrist surgery. So back he missed to, like nine games last year too. He didn't play. Yeah, yeah. So like the fact that they were shorthanded, uh, you know, without their star players, and yet still put up the season that they did. I think if they're they're healthy, the goaltending, as Mike said, plays to the caliber that they can. Full There's year no Giordano, also full year Giordano yeah. on that blue line. Gio's there. I think the depth is a lot better too than they've had than they've had in the past. I just think they're gunning for number one in that division. They know that they need to make it easier on themselves, and what better way than to win the division, even to be top of the Eastern Conference? Pelzi, are you agreeing with these guys? I think I'm going to go under just because uh, that's what I'm hoping for as a Sens fan, that they hit the under there because uh, the Sens need to grab some of those points if they're going to have a chance to make it in the wild card here. But I think the thing, too, is the Jekyll and Hyde story of Matt Murray. If things go off the rails like they did in Ottawa, health-wise, I mean, and obviously you, you never hope that uh, anyone has any injury or any sort of bad health, and certainly with Matt Murray – we're hoping he stays healthy for you guys in uh, Leafland. But what's the contingency plan if he goes down? Like how much of the load can Sam Sonov carry? And then who's going to be the, the next backup? And then how's that tandem going to look? So that's where I think maybe the Leafs may falter a little bit if Matt Murray's not able to stay healthy. Yeah, it's a, I, I don't know if I'm sold on Matt Murray, but I also see them as what they always do, that top three team in the division. And I, I do think they're better than, than the Panthers. And I don't know about the Lightning. At some point, you got to think that the amount of hockey they've played over the last number of years yeah. is yeah. going to catch up to their their big guns who have played a wild amount over the last three seasons, especially compared to everyone else when you put in the COVID uh, bubble and all that. Uh, all right, the Ottawa Senators, meanwhile, 86 and a half points. But again, 
The over is clearly more popular amongst bettors as it's at minus 130 and the under is at even odds. Pilsy, I'll start with you this time. I mean, obviously this is a fan bias show, so it'd be crazy for me to say the under. I'm taking the over for sure. The improvements this team has made in the offseason up front, uh, not only adding guys like Giroud, Debrinkat, Tyler Mott, but you get another year out of young player in development in Kachuk, Norris, Baths, and Stutzla. Pinto coming back is a massive, massive boost, like Ross mentioned. Jake Sanderson hopefully helps that decor. And I think... Now the Ottawa Senators, the culture knows it's time to stop these rebuilding games. It's time to win meaningful games and be in the picture down the stretch. Just the atmosphere and the vibe has changed. Now, does them hitting that over mean they're going to make the playoffs? Probably not. I think they probably still need to do more than just hit that over to make the playoffs here. And I'm expecting them to either make the last wildcard spot or just miss it barely. So I think the over for sure is going to be hit here. I think uh, I think that they'll hit the over as well. Actually, I, I think that they'll go. It was eighty six and a half, correct? Correct. Yeah, I, I think that they go over, like just over. I'm with you. I think this is a team that is going to compete for a, a wild card spot. Not sure if I see them competing for the division, especially since we look at last year. In order to claim the third spot in the division, that took 110 points. I don't think tough, that's going to yeah. happen again. Not going to happen again this year. I understand that. But it still might take 100 points for you to claim a third spot in the Atlantic. And we look at the wild card again, 100 points it took for Washington, who finished last in the wild card, the final wild card spot, 100 points. So, you know, I still think they're a team that might be on the outside looking in come playoff time. But 87, 88, maybe even a 90-point team, um, just because I think they did a lot of really good things over the course of the offseason. But that injury to the to the to the goaltender, I think the blue line might take a little bit to get going. Like eventually, Jake Sanderson might find his way, and they could have a nice you know run towards the second half of the year. That seems to be you know the trend that they've gone on the last couple of seasons. Anyways, they start sniping points left, right, and center off of teams on making playoff runs. Um, but ultimately, I think they finish on the outside looking in, but do clear the bar for the uh, the team total over at Bet Online. Final yeah, thing like, here. Go ahead. Go ahead, David. I'll just say I, I think over two because, you know, they because they finished with 73 last year, it might sound like 14 points might sound like a lot, but I think the Senators, they they finished the season strong. I think they got, they've made improvements in the years they need to, especially adding some offensive punch with Alex Brinkett. And I think the young guys are going to take a step forward. Seven wins might... Like seven wins is, I think, doable for this team yep. if they can get off to a good start. I think the start is going to be important for Ottawa. Well, the start includes a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs the first Saturday night of the season. So maybe we'll get a crossover going the week after, which is coming up so soon. Can't believe hockey season is here. We appreciate everyone on both sides of the Battle of Ontario for tuning in to this crossover edition. For Mike DiStefano and David Morasuti, and Brandon Piller of Locked On Senators, Locked On Maple Leafs. I'm Ross Levitan, and you've been listening to this special crossover edition. We're all a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. <laughs>